Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Primal Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, and anti-aging supplement, available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, here's your host, Mark Sisson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. I am so honored to be in Malibu here today with our very own Mark Sisson talking about his new book coming out, which a lot of people have been waiting for and we've been wanting to hear about this subject from him on ketosis. The new book is called The Keto Reset Diet, which is basically 21 days to reset your metabolism and burn fat forever. Hi, Mark. Hey, Al. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm Good. so glad to be here. I love this book, and I'm not just saying that because you're my boss and my publisher. Uh, I know this is a topic that's been out there in the sphere for a while, and the way that you and Brad go through it and detail it is great. So let's get into, let's start off with the basics. A lot of our listeners do know what ketosis is. Tell us, what are ketones? What is ketosis? Well, so ketones uh, are these um, metabolic byproducts, if you will, of fat metabolism, uh, they are uh, an important part of human evolution in that uh, over the millennia, as humans were able to find food and consume it, uh, our brains are actually wired to overconsume food uh, for that purpose because food was so scarce for most of our lives. But then imagine a human um, going a couple of days without eating, no food around. Uh, uh, you know, today somebody would like give up and die. They'd say, oh, I'm going to starve to death or whatever. But no, we are wired to, um, to have an alternative energy source. And that alternative energy source is to take the fat that we have stored, burn the fat in the muscles, and then in the liver, convert some of that fat into ketones, which can then be used to fuel the brain and the heart and the muscles. But let's just talk about the brain for now. To fuel the brain in the place of glucose, in the absence of glucose. So you have this wonderful built-in system where you can restrict glucose, you can restrict carbohydrates, you can become really good at burning fat, we call that fat adapted, you can create these ketone bodies that then not only fuel the brain, but offset the need to take in more carbohydrate, that offset the need to eat glucose-producing foods. And the, the, the effect of this is that we create over time, if we spend uh, enough time in this state of keto, as I, as I like to refer to it, we become metabolically efficient. We become better at extracting calories from fat, from protein, from, well, not so much from protein, from fat, from carbohydrate, and from ketones. So the past couple of years has seen an increase in uh, the number of people uh, going on a ketogenic diet or talking about ketosis. So a ketogenic diet, ketogenic means making ketones, the genesis of ketones. It's a diet that prompts the liver to make ketones. Ketosis is defined as an excess of ketones in the bloodstream or the presence of larger quantities of ketones in the bloodstream. So when you restrict carbohydrates, when you start to force the liver to take this fat and manufacture ketones, and you see a rise of these ketone bodies um, in the bloodstream, 
you can measure it with uh, urine sticks. So a lot of people will take a urinalysis stick and they'll pee on it and it'll turn purple. And they're like, yay, I'm in ketosis. But that's a little bit of a false... So here's where I'm going yeah. with that. So, Or they'll take a blood ketone monitor and they go, oh my gosh, I'm 1.7, I'm 2.5, I'm 5 millimolar, I'm in ketosis. But being in ketosis really doesn't mean anything. It actually means you have an excess of ketones in the bloodstream. The idea here is not to produce ketones for the sake of producing ketones and spilling them out in the urine. The idea from an evolutionary standpoint is to produce the ketones, just as many, just enough ketones to provide your body with the fuel it needs in the absence of carbohydrate. And isn't this why when people do the sticks and they see the purple, but then they have like bad breath or weird body odor, it's that their body's not... Right. They're not burning. They haven't. They're just built, making them. They're not they haven't it. built the metabolic machinery to burn the ketones. So they're making them in great quantities, and they're spilling them out in their urine or their breath or whatever. But that's not that's not the goal. I mean, it might be the goal for some people thinking, "Oh, I'm wasting calories. I'm you know those are all ketones that could have been burned as calories, and I'm wasting them, and I'm becoming inefficient." No, the the intent is to become metabolically efficient to be able to use those calories to fuel the brain, to fuel the muscles. Uh, to fuel cardiac muscle, uh, to use those ketones as epigenetic regulators. Beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is one of the ketone bodies, um, acetoacetate and acetone are the others, but BHB, beta-hydroxybutyrate is the main one, has a a powerful uh, epigenetic uh, effect on upregulating mitochondrial biogenesis. We build more mitochondria to burn fat. Let me ask you about that, because that word is thrown around a lot. And I know that a state of ketosis is actually, I mean, can be seen as a, a stepping stone to an abundant mitochondrial soup, right? But what is mitochondrial? Why do we want it to be optimized? What is it exactly? Because people have a tough time getting it. Yeah, I know. Well, the, so the, you know, the fourth grade, um, yeah, fourth grade. Science, <laughs> science class description is, is mitochondria are the, power, are the powerhouses of the cell. But the energy in a cell uh, largely comes from the mitochondria. And most of what happens in mitochondria is fat metabolism. It's beta, it's the oxidation of fats. So is that like fat is actually being burned? And like, how yeah. do I look at it in a so, great way? So it's a little, imagine a little capsule in which fats are burned and energy is produced and ATP is created. And ATP is the currency that the cell then uses to uh, to go about his business, um, and it's a very complex, you know, biochem. Uh, you can do you, you get a, a graph, flow or a flowchart <laughs> that goes from one end of the room to the other. But basically, uh, mitochondria are where um, most of the energy in a cell gets produced, and quite often. Oh, by the way, um, glucose doesn't need to be burned in the mitochondria. Glucose can be burned outside the mitochondria in the rest of the the cytoplasm of the cell. So that's an important kind of distinction to make. So we can burn glucose all the time whenever we want. Um, but if we want to burn fat, we have to do it in the mitochondria. And so if we want to burn a lot of fat, we need to have those mitochondria be really efficient and really good at what they're doing. And we, had, and we would love to have more of them because the more mitochondria we have, the more fat we can put through. The less we have to depend on sugar and glucose as an alternative fuel. And like most of... Uh, the endurance community for the for years and years thought, well, you know, we do want to burn some fat when we're exercising endurance and we're running marathons and 10Ks. But at some point, 
we're going to be burning a lot of carbohydrate in the form of glycogen or glucose anyway. So we may as well load up the muscles with glycogen, which is a stored form of glucose. Uh, and so for the longest time, most of, of sports uh, medicine looked at how do we maximize the storage of glycogen in these cells, not how do we, how do we optimize the, the burning of fat and minimize the, the use of glycogen. I want to interject with a question, and this sounds like maybe it might be an obvious or dumb one. But from what you're saying, it seems to me then, so if you're glucose dependent and you're on that train, you're not really using the mitochondria. Are they becoming kind of dumb and stupid and lazy? Yes, a little bit of both. So so one of the things that happens is you're not using them as much. Uh, They they become less efficient. Uh, And over time, the body gets used to a regular supply of glucose every three hours, right? So if you're an endurance athlete, you're eating breakfast, you're eating pancakes and waffles and, you know, orange juice. And for lunch, you're having, you know, a sandwich with some chips or some potato salad. And you might be having a, a goo uh, or an energy gel during a ride or a training session. You're always trying to refill those glycogen stores because your assumption is that I can only go as long as I can continue to put glycogen or glucose through my muscles. And once my glycogen is depleted in my muscles, you bonk. You bonk. Well, the new theory is that's one way to do it is keep filling the body full of sugar. The other is to say, well, let's get so good at burning fat that when we're doing 85% of our max effort, we're deriving 80% of our energy from fat. Whereas a sugar burner who's going 85% of max effort might be requiring 60% of those calories come from glycogen or sugar and only 40% coming from fat. Well, we can only store four to 500 grams of glycogen in the body at any one time. And so that's literally a maximum of 2,000 calories of energy. And if you're doing a 20-mile run at 100 calories per mile, that's only, that's only 20 miles worth of of, of energy. Well, what are you going to do for the other five? <laughs> well, so people will say, well, okay, then we, you know, then we become adept at getting some of our energy from fat. So maybe, you know, 30% of, of those hundred calories per mile come from fat. So that's offsetting some of the needs. But the bottom line is that the assumption was always, once you run out of glycogen, you bonk, the game's over. Um, now, A, we know that not to be necessarily true because it isn't that the muscles are running out of glycogen. It's, it's probably because the brain is not getting enough glucose and the brain is what's saying, whoa, slow down, pull over, stop. It's, it's rare that an athlete could ever get below 150 grams of glycogen remaining in all the muscles. So it doesn't go down to zero. It just goes down to some, some number that's, that's uh, a reserve tank if you will. And it's the brain that runs low on glucose that says, oh, we got to stop. We got to pull over, take a nap, stop doing this. We're going to die. Now, if you can envision an athlete who has become fat adapted, and so he gets a lot more, she gets a lot more energy from fat at a much higher rate of output because he or she is up upregulated all the mitochondria. Now there's twice as many mitochondria. They're all putting fat through. They're all generating ATP from this fat. Um, there's less reliance on glycogen or glucose de facto because there's so much reliance on fat. 
And because they're creating ketones, now the brain, even though the blood glucose is low, the brain isn't going, oh, I'm woozy, I got to pull over, because now ketones are being made to fuel the brain, and the brain prefers ketones over glucose anyway. So what we're seeing in the world of endurance sports is, particularly in the longer the event is, 100-mile races, um, uh, track races, and ultras, uh, multi-day stage races, um, Ironman events, that people are performing at a very high level on low-carb or keto training strategies because they've trained their bodies to make more mitochondria. they become fat-adapted uh, in that they are able to use fat not just walking around the house all day long, but at very high levels of output. They're deriving 80, 90, 95% of all their energy requirements from fat, which is then unburdening them of having to take in exogenous glucose in the form of gels, or even having to carbo-load. And their brains have become so attuned to using ketones that the brain no longer becomes this governor that shuts you down. The brain just says, yep, we're good. We can keep going. Um, you know, monitoring all these things, we're fine. And, and it's, now, how could that possibly happen, you might ask? Well, imagine a human being 100,000 years ago not having eaten for three days and now out-tracking um, a wildebeest and needing to kill the wildebeest to, to be able to survive. So you got to be able to, to, to go the long distances, to sprint, cut the tangent once in a while, to be able to throw the spear, um, to be able to have enough cognition to think about where the animal's going to go and to not have the brain go, oh, I want to take a nap, I want to pull over, and I want to sleep. So you could argue that being fat adapted and keto adapted makes you more attuned as a human being than just filling your gullet full of, you know, carbs and, and, uh, and other standard American diet type foods all day long. Um, we could even argue that, um, and this is a bizarre kind of uh, road to go down, and yet I think it's going to be uh, the subject of a lot of research in the future, that maybe we are, we are most human when we're not eating. And that, you know, it's funny you said that because in your book, you and you just mentioned, you said, you know, the brain actually prefers ketones, yeah. right? And there's some evidence that maybe the heart does too. Yes. So then what I wonder is, why is it considered a backup fuel source if it's a predominantly preferred fuel, which would go to what you just said, which it makes sense. And it's a weird thing to say that a state of starvation, in quotes, is more of a natural state of being. You could argue, and I, again, this, I don't want to get, you know, it's our show, Al. I don't want to get <laughs> off on too much of a tension, and yet... Yeah. These are the thoughts that have been coming up to me recently. Like, what if the, what if the true state of, of, of being human is, is while you're not eating? That's when the repair is going on. That's when the genetic regulation, is the upregulation of certain uh, systems is happening that repairs DNA, that, that causes autophagy of damaged proteins and damaged fats. That's when you're truly building and creating a real human. It's in those off hours of not eating. And then when you are eating, it's like all those things slow down. And you, you know, you refill, you real fill the, the coal bins full of coal, but then you're not really um, achieving much. It's, it's a, it's an interesting concept and I really want to see what happens there. Yeah. And I, and we're going to get into all these little areas. I have so many questions for you on this topic. So talk about glucose as a dirty burning fuel versus ketones being a clean burning and how that affects us. And you do an analogy about, you know, logs on the fire and smoke and Let's talk about glycation and anti-aging because what we just said, even though it was a little tangent, this now that we're going to talk about is going to really kind of provide evidence for what we're sort of hinting yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we talk in the book about 
uh, glucose being a dirty burning fuel, partly because it uh, throws off uh, reactive oxygen species at a fairly high rate, um, particularly if it's happening outside the mitochondria. So, so glucose can burn inside the mitochondria as well, but it doesn't need to. It can burn on the outside of the mitochondria. The analogy that we use is, you know, you can have a fire with lots of little sticks and kindling and, and newspaper, and it burns quickly and rapidly, but then there's a lot of smoke and then it goes out. And that's kind of how we view uh, glucose and glycogen. Fat would be akin to, you know, a, a nice big oak log, a big, a big dry oak log that burns at a regular steady state uh, all night long, doesn't throw off a lot of smoke. Uh, you can count on it. Uh, it doesn't go up and down. And, um, and it's a predictable source of energy and, and ultimately is a better source of energy. So that's kind of the, the analogy that we use on the clean burning thing. Um, the, the idea that, uh, that, you know, we have lived in the last couple of hundred years in this society that has access to all these forms of carbohydrate such that with breakfast being the most important meal of the day, right? That, and that, whole, that <laughs> whole thing being, you know, promoted by CW Post and Kellogg and the mm-hmm. Florida Sunshine Bureau or whatever <laughs> it was, the orange juice makers. And then this further assumption that we need, we need to eat three meals a day. Actually, it became five meals a day during the bodybuilding and you know, the, the, the zone of, trend, the right. zone trend, right? Carry your Tupperware around with you everywhere and always have a little bit of carbs and a little bit, well, 40, 30, 30, some carbs, some fat, some protein. You know, every time you eat, it kind of shuts that whole repair process down. It's bizarre that, that we would think that we need to continuously graze it. Somebody said, you know, uh, some learned person said 20 years ago, well, humans are grazing animals. And the next thing you know, grazing took the form of eating all day, multiple small meals. And that's actually antithetical to our health. It is a glucose-dependent kind of model. You're totally. Because assuming, unless every time you graze, you're not eating a carb. But assuming you are, you're going to be tapping the pancreas. No, exactly. So you'll be, you'll be invoking all of these digestive processes that include insulin, that include uh, you know, shifts in blood sugar, that load blood sugar into the bloodstream, and m- almost more than anything else, prevent fat from coming out of the fat cells. It's like if you're going to eat that often and that much, the body has an, an intricate and elegant hormonal system that says, why do we need to even – we don't need to draw down fat stores. Uh, we got Meaning like we, they've got the energy coming externally the, from the, this other The energy is coming in every couple of hours and it's filling, you know, it's, it's filling us up and, it's, uh, you know, and, our, and we're refilling glycogen. So we don't even need to burn fat. We have so much glycogen. And we, never, we don't do enough exercise to ever – fully tap out the glycogen to require fat to come out of storage. And so fat stays in storage all the time or continues to accumulate at a rate slightly higher than we'd like, like one or two pounds a year or 10 pounds a year, whatever that is, all because we are continuously eating. So one of the things about keto, and this is what I like the best about it, it is creating this metabolic flexibility where you don't, you don't only not eat three meals a day. You can if you want, by the way. But you typically choose not to because appetite, hunger, and cravings go away. And, and they no longer run your life. Like, you, they, you know, typically, and I know you have friends at work who do this, like, oh, my God, what's for lunch? Oh, we're having tacos today at lunch. That's great. Okay. Uh, it's 2 o'clock. Hey, what's for dinner? You know, mm-hmm. uh, and then dinner's over. What do you got in the house to eat? I'm watching TV. Uh, and then you wake up in the morning famished. Well, how could you possibly be famished? 
Well, it, you're famished if you become so dependent on burning sugar that overnight your brain, which kept working, uh, kind of depleted the glucose in your liver. You, your muscles are still full. So you wake up in the morning, the brain goes, well, we got to eat. We, gotta, we need more glucose. This is no way to live your life, people. It's a terrible, terrible hamster wheel of uh, food obsession. It's right. horrible. Yeah. Right. So the Keto Reset Diet, which is our book, is about using a keto process to reboot your metabolism so that you become so good at burning fat, you become so metabolically flexible, you actually become so metabolically efficient that if you that, that you choose to cut down the number of calories or you choose to skip a meal once in a while or you just have this intuitive ability to know when it's time to stop eating. This is the other thing that, that, that became so, so apparent to me in writing this book. The number of people who live their lives going, what's the most amount of food I can eat and not gain weight? You know, how gluttonous can I be and not gain weight? Uh, and that's the kind of obsession with food where I'll go to the gym and I'll talk to people and I'll say, dude, you're on the treadmill five days a week and you are grunting and out and that's admirable. Why are you doing that? Are you training for a 10K? Nope, I do it because I love to eat. Yep. Are you kidding me? You are putting yourself through that misery just so you can have a few more bites of something you probably shouldn't eat in the first place. And yet that's how people think. That's how people live their lives. And and let's get into, and I know you've probably talked about it before in the podcast, let's get into the nitty-gritty of how that actually works. Because you said earlier, okay, yeah, if you want to be an endurance athlete and you want to be on that carbo-loading train, that's one way to do it. But that one way is going to lead to some metabolic effery. You might even get type 2 diabetes and be a very slim, trim, athletic guy, right? So let's get into the insulin and why... Um, it's it's obviously yes you burn fat better over here your brain might there's so many benefits to keto but let's talk about insulin and the damage that that carbohydrate dependency can do behind the scenes even though you think you look great yeah i mean people the other thing that i say about people is they see what they can get away with i guess it's the same same concept as what's the most amount i can eat and not get fat is what can i get away with you know i'm the kind of guy who i can drink you know a bottle and a half of wine a night and i can get away with it or i'm the kind of girl who i can you know, I can eat a whole bowl of pasta and not put on any pounds, and I can get away with that. So but you're not really getting away with it, yeah. are you? Well, exactly. So you may you may look like you're not you're you're getting away with it, right? But over time, I have to think that that you know, and and I think some people might be quote lucky because they can't get away with it, and therefore they recognize early on the issues. But if you're someone who thinks you can get away with it for a long period of time, and I've I've seen a lot of people who had horrendous diets, who never gained weight, and then be, then became type 2 diabetic. You know, it's almost like um, gaining weight is, is a way for the body to offset getting type 2 diabetes. If you can take the, the excess glucose that's in the bloodstream and store it in the fat cells, then, then you've disposed of the glucose in the bloodstream. And so your fat cells get fatter and fatter and fatter, and you become overweight, but at some point... Um, you, you're because you're not showing the signs of type 2 diabetes, yes, you're overweight, but you're not type 2 diabetic. Well, at some point, the fat cells say, we've had enough, we're full, and then the blood sugar accumulates. Now, conversely, there are body types where there are skinny people who just, they just don't get fat. Their blood sugar just creeps up, and they get type 2, they get their skinny fat, they just get type 2 diabetes from not having that that disposal mechanism that is the fat cells, right? And Yet they don't put on the weight, so they think I'm fine, 
I don't, you know, I don't look like I'm a type two diabetic type person, but because they haven't, they don't have that disposal mechanism and they, because they eat like crap, their blood sugar goes up and, you know, glucose in the bloodstream is not a great thing. Yes, it's a fuel. Uh, yes, we tend to burn glucose preferentially, but we burn it preferentially because we want to get rid of it. I mean, again, we can only store, you know, a couple of hundred grams of glucose and then it's too much. Um, at any point in time, there's only a teaspoonful of glucose in our entire bloodstream. We don't need that much glucose. And at any point in time, if that amount in the bloodstream, you know, goes up even to twice that teaspoon, we are in really deep shit. So we have to have mechanisms to dispose of the glucose because glucose in the bloodstream is toxic. Why is it toxic? How is it toxic? Well, number one, as you said, it raises insulin. Insulin then tries to force the excess glucose into whatever cell it can, preferentially the muscle cell. But if the muscles are already full of glycogen, if, our, if the person hasn't been working out, then, then it goes to the next level, which might be the fat cells. Um, and, and failing that, the body tries to pump out more and more insulin uh, to, because it recognizes that there's too much glucose. And, and because the person is now uh, insensitive to the glucose, they are resistant, excuse me, they're insensitive to the insulin, they're resistant to the insulin. Now we start to see an accumulation of glucose in the bloodstream, which can manifest itself in advanced glycated end products. The glucose uh, reacts with certain proteins that are in the bloodstream. Uh, these can lead to uh, clogging of capillaries and neuropathies and retinopathies in the eye and, uh, and uh, lack of blood flow in the extremities, which can lead to... Is that a, why we hear about diabetics losing their limbs? That's exactly and right. And also, um, you just mentioned the other one. Retinopathies. Um, right, the eye, eye the problems. Eye problems. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, these are all artifacts of a... Uh, an overly sugar burdened lifestyle. And, you know, go back to Primal Blueprint 101, you know, what is sugar? Well, glucose is the primary, primary form of sugar that food gets broken down into in the human body. So breads, pastas, rice, cereal, cakes, cookies, candies, desserts, sodas, they all sort of become glucose in the bloodstream and they all add to the sugar load and they all require that we try to dispose of it through this hormonal mechanism. Um, and yeah, there are other forms. There's fructose, which is another form of sugar, which comes from fruit. Typically, when it's bound to fruit, it's it's okay. It's uh, it's bound to a fiber, so it takes a little bit of of time to dispose. But fructose goes straight to the liver, where the liver wants to convert it into triglycerides. So it the liver can either store fructose as it can convert it into liver glycogen, or it can convert it into triglycerides. And uh, again, a form of fat. So imagine sugar becoming a form of fat. So we look at all of these ways in which sugar is invading our lives and carbohydrates are a large part of that. And we think, well, how can I, you know, I want to have the energy. So I'm told that I need glucose for energy. So I can't not eat carbohydrates. That's just silly. Well, now we know from the keto lifestyle, you can. You can train your body to make to burn fat really efficiently, to derive most of your energy from stored body fat or from the fat on your plate. We can increase the number of mitochondria, which make it much more effective and efficient. And, and by the way, decrease the amount of free radical damage from creating the energy in the first place. Um, we create these ketones that the brain can use. And we, and we completely unburden ourselves of having to take in carbohydrate. Not like 
oh my God, I'm going to see how long I can go without taking in carbohydrate. But we unburden ourselves of needing carbohydrate. Now, the next question that I get from people is, well, geez, Mark, I mean, I like, I like my vegetables. I like my salad. I like, dude, I eat more vegetables as a, as a keto person than most vegetarians do. I just had a big ass salad for lunch. It was a six quart mixing bowl full of mixed greens, uh, red bell peppers, avocado, pine nuts, uh, cucumbers, a um, little bit of celery, a um, couple of tomatoes, and I, I put some chicken on it, and I doused it with some Primal Kitchen um, dressing. That meal had, I'm going to say, 30 grams of healthy fat from the avocado, the pine nuts, and the dressing. It had 20 grams of protein, because that's really all I needed from the chicken, uh, and combination of nuts. And if it had 12 or 13 grams of carbs, I'd be surprised. Now, those are, those are also net carbs that are locked in a fibrous matrix in, in the food. That big-ass salad was the most keto meal I could possibly have. So, so I have that. And then for dinner last night, uh, I had, um, last night, okay, I had a, a steak, right? I had a piece of grass-fed steak, not a big piece. And I had like three cups of steamed broccoli with butter on it. Delicious. Right? So, you know, a glass and a glass of uh, dry farm wines, you know, a, a paleo wine. Yeah, those are great. So my total carbohydrate load yesterday was probably, let's just be generous and say it was 45 grams. But you're still under the classic sort of 50 where most people tend to, and you, you talk about that, 50 yeah. as being kind of a number that to start with and everyone's different, but below that is could usually... Have been, could have been below that, but I'm so good at keto now, um, and I'm so metabolically flexible that, you know, I was producing just enough ketones to do the trick, and I didn't need any more carbohydrate, I didn't need any more glucose, i become a fat-burning beast, um, and as a result of the metabolic efficiency... If you tally up the calories I had yesterday, you know, it might have been four, 450 for lunch, might have been, um, you know, 1,400 for dinner, and I might have had a 200 calorie. I, I had between 2,000 and 2,200 calories yesterday, and I'm a growing boy, right? I'm a 168-pound <laughs> um, athlete, and that's all I needed to get me through the day. And by the way, I, you know, I even had to not eat the last couple of bites of each of those meals because it was like, you know what, that's enough. Just for shits and giggles here, can you go back and tell us what a carbohydrate-dependent Marxist and used to look like? What would a day look like when you were on that other train way long ago before you found this out? What would, what would a breakfast, lunch, and dinner look like? Well, you know, even when I was, um, I mean, I could, I could go back and give you, t- I mean, horrendous tales of, abuse when I was an endurance athlete in my teens and 20s. But even after I'd kind of gotten off that um, 700 to 1,000 grams of carbs a day wagon. Wow. Uh, you know, I'd have uh, eggs with two pieces of whole wheat toast with marmalade on them for breakfast. I'm making my mouth water just telling, telling you about that. Because <laughs> it, was, it was good um, f- for breakfast. Um, for lunch, I'd have typically a sandwich on whole wheat bread. Maybe some, um, maybe some uh, pasta salad as a side or some a potato salad as a side. For dinner, I would have had some form of starch at every meal. I would have had a baked potato or a sweet potato, 
you know, or some, uh, um, you know, even like, like a one pound bag of frozen peas would be a fairly, you know, fairly high in, in carbs. Um, you know, and then for dessert, I would have had, uh, a Ben and Jerry's, a little half a pint of Ben and Jerry's or something like that. And that's back, that's not that long. That's 20 years ago. And that doesn't even seem, quote, that bad, right? No. For the general population right. at this time, which is funny because when we just did the contrast between your day yesterday and what we just talked about, you could just see all the sugar and carbs there. Like, it's just yeah. so obvious. Yeah, it's obvious. And yet it's not, it's it's like. It wasn't a huge amount of food per se. You weren't. No, 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 no. You know. But, you know, wind up being 300 grams of carbs by the end of the day. And that, that. That was fine, and look, and by the way, I could get away with it, right? I could get away with it, there except go, for the fact, except for the right, except for the fact that my gut was falling apart because of the whole wheat grains that I was eating, thinking I was doing myself a favor. So you got away weight wise, right? Yeah, yeah. You didn't no, get exactly. Away with I got away with it visually, but I didn't <laughs> yeah. get away with it internally. Right. Yeah. You know. The, you mentioned your book, Overfeeding is Really the Essence of Accelerated Aging, you know, and how metabolic efficiency is the essence of longevity. And um, we, we talked about vision and other things in circulation, but let's talk about anti-aging and wrinkles and things like this. And can you give us a snapshot of how carbohydrate dependency affects us in those ways? Well, c- certainly, you know, inflammation uh, is a big driver of a lot of disease these days. And a lot of our carb sources are pro-inflammatory. So whether it's processed grains, uh, you know, whether it's sugar, just in general, high fructose corn syrup in particular, um, these, whether or not they're directly involved in inflammation, just a high insulin producing diet, because insulin is sort of pro-inflammatory in and of itself. And then combine that with the industrial seed oils in our diet, which are high in omega-6 fats that are also um, manufactured using some pretty drastic measures. So we took about talk about soybean oil, corn oil, canola oil. Um, there's an excess of these in our diets, and they kind of add up to a pro-inflammatory lifestyle. So that could manifest itself in a number of ways. That could manifest itself in, in um, well, first of all, some of the things like the gluten and grains that people eat can cause leaky gut, which in turn can lead to some potential autoimmune issues. But even if they don't cause autoimmune issues, they can still cause systemic inflammation. That is, the, literally the bloodstream gets a little bit inflamed because of stuff getting into the bloodstream that shouldn't be there and an immune response getting set up. So for a lot of people, that might, look, that might show up like 20 pounds of water weight gained. The whole body is suffering edema. This is one of the reasons that in the old Biggest Loser days, you would see people lose 25 pounds the first week. They weren't water burning. Weight. It was yeah. water weight. They weren't burning 25 you know, pounds of fat off. Um, they were restricting so many of the offensive inflammatory foods that the body was, was finally taking a breather and going, okay, we can let go of this water. We don't have to be inflamed. We don't have to be, have this edema. Uh, that and the fact that uh, because they were restricting carbs at the same time, they were reducing glycogen in the muscles because, they, of course, they were making them exercise 6,000 calories a day. Um, and for every gram of glycogen stored in the muscles, there are four grams of water. So the combination of those two things would make water, water leave. But I, I'm digressing a little bit. So, so inflammation, systemic inflammation, particularly in the bloodstream, can have a lot of different uh, negative effects. Like I say, autoimmune potential. So you might set up an immune response that uh, initially was contemplated by the immune system to attack some undigested milk particle or something. And because that that protein looked like something that resided on the, on the pancreas and the beta cells, 
the body attacks the pancreas, attacks the beta cells. You get uh, type 1 diabetes from an autoimmune. Or uh, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. You get thyroid parts of the thyroid that, I, that the immune system starts to attack. Or you get chondrocytes in the joints, and you get arthritis because the immune system is attacking the arthritis. There are like 74 uh, autoimmune diseases, and I think now we're seeing that a lot of them, if not all of them, have some dietary etiology. Absolutely. So there's that. Uh, you talk about wrinkling, and, uh, you know, again, this, these advanced glycated end products where, um, where glucose is reacting with protein molecules and causing um, scar tissue or wrinkling or um, in a reaction with the sun on the skin. So we notice a lot of people are big on a high-sugar diet with lots of industrial seed oils burn easily. And then, and then they clean their act up and they clean their diet up and they get rid of the sugars and the processed grains and they get rid of the industrial seed oils. And lo and behold, they find they can go out for 20 minutes and not get burned. It's fascinating. And they get a nice little, a nice tan and get some vitamin D. And of course, then they you need to cover up because I don't want anybody to get burned. But to think that you could stay out in the sun longer just by virtue of the fact that something you did in your diet shifted how your skin responds to the sun is pretty profound. It's amazing. And we've had so many Primal Blueprint success stories who have alleviated lifelong random skin diseases and issues just by, you know, cleaning up, cleaning it up. Let's get into cancer for a minute. The keto and cancer, this is such a popular topic. And, you know, I know you mentioned in your book that being in ketosis helps suppress the growth of cancer cells in numerous ways, most notably by starving cancer cells of glucose. And, you know, we had a couple of people on the show who wrote a book on Survivors of Cancer, they have a ketogenic cookbook for cancer specifically. And the way they sort of mentioned it to me in a fourth grade explanation was when a doctor is going to look for where the cancer is in your body and need to find it, they inject you with glucose. <laughs> I mean, says it all right there. Like, what the hell? Like, I mean, so, so ketogenic is used not only to help people get through some of the awful effects of chemo and other things. People say that being ketogenic helps them through that process of being less sick or miserable through it. But it also is an effective, supposedly, or certainly an intention to then help cure it, fix it, resolve yeah. it. Yeah. Now, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on this because, you know, cancer is a very complex topic. Um, but there is a, a, a lot of traction with a the theory now that uh, cancer cells depend, a lot of cancer, not all of them, but a lot of cancer cells depend on glucose as their primary source of fuel. And if you can starve a cancer cell of, of glucose... Um, meanwhile, every other cell in the body thriving on ketones and fat, then you're in a pretty good position to take advantage of the, even some of the traditional therapies, even chemo or even some of the other, even radiation. Some of these things will work better because you've already debilitated a cancer cell. Um, assuming that that cancer cell was, was certainly, or, or was, was glucose dependent and you've, and you've started with that. Um, you know, but there are a lot of, well, even if you're not, let's say you go keto and you've got cancer. Let's say that's not the thing that starves and kills all the cancer cells and makes you better. You're certainly not adding more fuel to the fire, yeah, I, I'm, though, and right? I, you know, and I don't want to, I, I don't want to say definitively that too, because I think there, you know, we might see that there might be some types of cancer that that use ketones, right? And I don't want to, okay. I don't want to discount yeah. that. Cancer is a very bizarre um, term for. Uh, for a metabolic condition that some people think has to do entirely with mitochondria. Uh, other people think it has to do entirely with, uh, you inflammation. know, with, with, well, w- with inflammation. Some say it has to do with just, it's purely genetic mutation. You know, it's a DNA mutation. It's taken on a life of its own. So, you know, I'm, I'm not a cancer 
sure, specialist, we're not and, I, and I don't, and I don't want to, I don't really want to go down that. I, other than to say, yes, there are a lot of people who have had some great results uh, going keto, uh, who you know were undergoing some cancer therapy or were, uh, you know, I mean, um, Eric Ramsberger, you know, who I know has been on the show, he had um, a prostate cancer and a very severe case of prostate cancer. And has he been on the show? Uh, maybe on primal endurance, but okay. I don't, or uh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and he basically, you know, went from a very severe case of, uh, you know, a Gleason score of nine and, uh, you know, stage four, whatever to being in remission. Oh, and, um, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and, you know, credits among other things, cause he did a month of a, a litany of therapies, um, his being deep, 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 deeply keto. So, yeah, I, again, I don't want to. I don't want to get hung up on the cancer thing, but I do want to say that there are lots of, like, you know, when we talk about keto and, um, and brain health. Uh, Alzheimer's. So something to look into. Yeah. Alzheimer's or cancer, someone in your family, doesn't yeah. hurt to just go research and see if yeah, this exactly. might be That's something. Yeah, exactly. That's what I would say. Yeah. That's what I would say. Right. Um, so. But, but, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and so I'm suggesting that those are great potential therapies, but I'm, I'm saying I'm into keto for all the other benefits, for the, for the weight maintenance, for the muscle mass maintenance, for the anti-aging benefits for the energy benefits for the let's talk about emotional stability benefits yeah i mean you know i'm i'm probably at the uh pretty stable stable, no but i'm at the height of my career in terms of having taken on as much as i can possibly take on i mean i've got all these i've got primal kitchen restaurants opening all over the country i've got primal kitchen foods the fastest growing food company in the country last year pretty much um, you know, we've got uh, the publishing company and all the stuff coming out. Um, I've got the book coming out, which isn't with a, my publishing company. It's, it's actually with Harmony, uh, a division of Random House. Very excited about that. Um, I got Primal Health Coach. You know, we just had a master class here a couple weeks ago. It was fabulous. It was fantastic. So I got a lot of stuff going on, right? And I have to keep my wits about me and I have to stay focused and I have to be able to shift from one hat to another among all these businesses. So I feel like the keto... And you have energy all day long because I've been here at your place and other than a quick 20-minute uh, dip in the pool and a sun little nap that you might just go get some sun, I've never seen you be like, I gotta go take a nap. No, no, no. <laughs> By the way, the, you know, the, the dip in the pool and the sun isn't really a nap. It's just, I, I like, it's almost meditative to be right. cold and then air dry in the sun and oh. get my vitamin D at the same time. Uh, you know, and then I'll think about what well, call whatever call. Right, it's not because you're tired. You're doing it's not because it. I'm no. tired. No, no, no. That's yeah. I've never yeah. seen you yeah. be like I'm bonking out at yeah. 3 p.m. Like, yeah. in fact, the afternoons are your strongest, yeah. real strong. No, I mean, for you. you know, so t- to my wife's chagrin, I really hit my stride between 4:30 and 7. So I work 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. <laughs> right? I'll take a break for to work out at the gym, or whatever. But I knock off work at 7 p.m. because I get some of my best, my most creative stuff done toward the later hours of the day. And again, that's. That's having not eaten breakfast, having had a salad for lunch, and then not eating again until 7 o'clock at night when I break, and then that's when I have my dinner. Now, the book has, you know, it's a, we t- you talk about you ease into this. There's yeah. a, the, you've got to get fat adapted first, get this machinery going. Then yeah. you can get a little bit more severe with the carb restriction. You ha- lay out the whole plan. You talk about testing, and there's even recipes and meal plans and everything that does include, you know, eggs in the morning until you then you don't yeah. want them. Yeah. Um, Getting back to something you were uh, saying earlier, and um, Brad and I were talking about this when he, he came out to talk about the primal endurance course, and he had been fasting most of that day, and I had too. I had a little bit of fat, like half an avocado, and I noticed that one of your snacks or a little fat snack in your book was like, you know, hey, half an avocado with some lime and sea salt, which is like a go-to for me. 
Now, when you go down this process, it, you naturally realize you like being in this state of not having a lot of food in your body, and you end up eating in what you call, and you sort of define it, a compressed eating window. This is how naturally I end up being. And I think Brad and I were talking about this with each other, where that's kind of how naturally this goes. I end up really not wanting to eat a decent amount of food until two to like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I really course. don't. I'm thriving. No, I mean, you know, we said from day one, even before keto entered the primal blueprint picture. Intermittent fasting. Well, we, we just said if, if, if you're not hungry, don't eat. And does that still hold true? Because then I have a little bit of a, let me ask you a personal question. So, for example, let's say I get up, I'm fat adapted, I'm keto, maybe have a little MC2 on my coffee, but I'm mostly fasting. I go work out. Let's say I do some weights. Now, some uh, learned people would say, ooh, you know, within an hour, you should get some protein in there because then you don't want to waste the work you did on the biceps or whatever. But then I would go, but if I'm not hungry, should I? No. In fact, um, when you become fat adapted, um, almost the opposite happens. You do a hard workout and you're almost like you're not hungry. Like you're That's specifically not hungry. Right. It's not like, oh, geez, I hope I can hold off for an hour until I eat. No, you're just not freaking hungry. So then don't. So then, so then don't, don't be no, socially constricted right, but here's by that the, but, here's, but no, so the, here's the constriction. And here's, again, the irony of that whole thing is that is based on people who said, I'm going to do this every damn day. I'm going to work out hard every damn day. And so if I'm going to do a glycolytic workout every day, I'm going to fill my muscles back up with glycogen every day so I can do it again tomorrow. Well, Jesus, what kind of a life is that? You know, I mean, <laughs> it's I'm, a terrible life. no, it, but it's, but you know, it's like if you're working out to be stronger and fitter and healthier, then you don't work out hard every day. You certainly don't work the same muscles out hard every day. Right. Right. You take it a couple of days off in between. But so, you mentioned about keto being sort of like muscle sparing. And so then that goes along with it's okay, Elle. You do not have to eat for the purposes of the, the fact that you just, and I, when I'm with Well, what's the fear? Not what's, what's the fear that you, like, you, you burn through all the, Protein or something? I guess there's some socially constructed thing that happens because of all the stuff we've heard, yeah. you know, all the bullshit we've been told yeah. that says like, hey, you just did like some weights and stuff, so you don't want to so, yeah. waste so you that have, workout. You know what I mean? Totally. But you have you have this amazing amino acid slash nitrogen sink in your body, and it's always got plenty of amino acids there. So, you know, I could tell you that Brad and I went back and forth on the protein requirements of the keto book. Because the reality is you probably don't need more than 40 or 45 grams of protein a day, maybe even less than that, if you're in full ketosis. Now, a lot of the keto gains people and a lot of the other people would say, oh, well, you know, protein, you can have 100, 150, up to 200 grams a day, and that won't take you out of ketosis, and that'll be, you know, that'll be great for you. So we, we, we arrive somewhere in the middle. But the reality is when you are doing keto right, and you've restricted carbs, and you've You've turned on that epigenetic signaling. That part of that signaling is, is sparing protein. So it prevents your muscles from breaking down. It literally, that's that, that's that ancient wisdom that's locked in the DNA from the man, from the, from the hunter who hadn't eaten for three days, but still needed to preserve every bit of muscle to go out and get the next source of calories. Or, or like when you went on a vegetarian retreat for a week and you were like, I still didn't lose any muscle, yeah. right? Or yeah, yeah. that would have been another worry. Like no, exactly. Protein. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so the idea that, um, you know, we need, to, um, we, we need to take in a post-workout meal is bullshit. Now, here's... So it flies out the window when you're well, on the so, train and you're a you, Again, the old paradigm was, and I used to promote this paradigm because I was one who would train every single day. You know, as a runner, I ran 100 miles a week for seven years. 
I do, I follow a 15-mile day with a 20-mile day and follow that with a 12-mile day and follow that with a hard track workout every single day. I want to jump off a bridge just hearing about that. No, I, want to, no I, I can't believe I was ever in that headspace. And by the way, once I left that headspace, I, never be, I was never able to access it again. But the idea was that if you're going to, that there's, there's this window of opportunity where your, where your muscles are primed to resynthesize That's glycogen. That's what I'm talking about. That's what a false about. Thing. Yeah. Okay, so resynthesizing glycogen is if you're going to be glycolytic all the time. But if you're going to be a fat burner, A, you don't really need to resynthesize that much glycogen. By the way, you could not eat glycogen for four days and your, and your muscles would still resynthesize glycogen. They just wouldn't be topped off enough for you to go repeat that damn exercise again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So point number one is there used to be this old window of opportunity theory, and people still do it because there are people who, who train every single day, and I'm not going to tell them not to, especially, especially if they're not keto. If they're still in the sugar-burning paradigm, then you have to do that. Then if you're a you sugar burner, then you will be catabolic. Then you will be catabolic. Okay. So that's the danger is that you will be catabolic if you haven't, if you haven't become fat adapted and you haven't become keto adapted and you're still dependent on sugar for most of your energy, then when you do skip meals, then when you don't do that post-workout meal, there is that danger that the, the brain will go, whoops, there's no glucose and we don't know how to burn ketones and we're not going to burn fat. So we're going to send, we're going to alert the adrenals to secrete cortisol and then that's going to tear down muscle tissue and, and send amino acids to the liver to become glucose to, so you can do it. So it's a vicious, vicious cycle. So in the old paradigm, if you ate a post-workout meal, you know, that was contemplated to let you continue to burn glycogen at every workout. Um, but in the new paradigm, one of the things that happens is after a workout, especially a lifting workout, you have this pulse of growth hormone and testosterone. And even in women, you want those because that's what's going to build the muscle. That's what's going to preserve the muscle. Then don't screw it up by feeding yourself. Well, so if you feed yourself, then you will blunt that pulse of testosterone and growth hormone. So I, t- I even tell sugar burners today, I say, you, you got two choices. You can do this workout every single day, but don't think that you're going to get bigger because of that. Or you can do this hard workout today and then take two days off, not eat today, and then maximize that pulse of testosterone and growth hormone that you just produced doing that heavy leg day where you threw up after it was over, right? <laughs> and, and, but it's, look, there's no right or wrong here. These are just choices. And all I'm doing is giving people opportunities to say, oh, based on the science, what do I choose to do? If I choose to work out hard every single day, then I'll go replenish my glycogen stores. Uh, or I could say, I'm keto, and I still choose to work out every day, and I'm not going to replenish my glycogen stores because I'm going to see how hard I can go short of frying myself. I'm going to see how hard I can go and stay keto you know, and, and, and do the work. Now, what you'll typically find is it takes a long time to, to get your power back once you go keto and start doing those glycolytic workouts in that fashion, right? But, which is why I'm back to... Look, I go back to the 10 Primal Blueprint Laws all the time. I created those 15 years ago. I first published them 12 years ago. And and it basically says, lift heavy things twice a week. Sprint once a week. And any more than that, you're going to compromise something. Something's not going to be optimized in terms of its recovery. So lift... When you lift, lift freaking hard. When you sprint, sprint freaking hard. And then find ways to move around a lot at a low level of activity in between. So walk steady. Exactly. Do easy hikes, do easy runs, do easy swims, do easy jogs, do easy elliptical, whatever it is for you. But the real gains come from the hard work 
and the rest in between. Yeah, and you know, Brad was talking about this, about how he's like, you know, you can go on a two-hour hike, but then if you pass the three, four-hour threshold, you're not doing yourself favors, even though you think longer is better there. Right. Depends on how, by the way, depends on how easy you go, because sure. you could go on an easy hike and have your heart rate never go above, uh, you know, 180 minus your age, minus five. Sure. And, um, you know, it could be it could be a breakthrough workout for you that as long as you take the next day easy and the next day easy could could accrue some tremendous benefits. So it's more about it's more about keeping a, a lid on the intensity than it is the, the distance or the time. Let's talk about protein for a second. We always get this. People are still misunderstanding that a paleo primal ancestral paradigm, they think it's a high protein diet. We know it's not. It's moderate. But let's talk about, um, you know, just as you mentioned in your book about excess carb consumption, excess protein consumption also promotes accelerated cell division and excessive stimulation of growth factors like IGF. Those are the inflammatory markers. So let's talk about this. My understanding is that if I do overeat protein and I need glucose, my body will kind of decide for itself uh, if it needs to turn into it. Yeah, there's a, process, there's a process called gluconeogenesis where the body will take excess protein and convert it into glucose, into sugar. It's not that significant. It's not going to dump hundreds of grams of yeah. uh, glucose in your system. But it's. But what about the overeating? What about the guys that are doing like 250 grams of protein a day and they're trying to build or anyone else just overeating protein? I know, but it's like if you're, if you're overeating protein in that, in that paradigm, you're just, um, you know, we're back to our original premise here, which was, which was overeating of anything is inflammatory, is inflammatory and is antithetical to longevity. Um, so again, I, I always approach this from, and we'll go back to that, you know, that sort of comment, like people see what they can get away with and how much, how much can I eat and not gain weight, right? And the, the, the converse of that, the opposite of that is what's the least amount I can eat and maintain muscle mass or put on muscle, have all the energy I need, uh, never get sick, have lots of cognition, a good mood, good attitude. Oh, and by the way, never be hungry. And if you can fulfill all those things, what's the least amount you can eat? That's the winning strategy right there. It's also there. the least stressful strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, um, we, I mentioned in your book, we talk, it's, why is this so controversial? Can you tell me right now, what are the, uh, quote, unsafe objections to ketosis that you can refute? So if other people out there are like, don't go into ketosis or ketosis is X in a negative, what are those things? Why is it controversial? Well, you know, the number one thing that people have heard of is ketoacidosis, and that's basically a situation where um, a type 1 diabetic builds up ketones uh, at a large amount in the bloodstream. And, um, and, and because ketones are turned off by, by insulin, anybody who's not a type 1 diabetic, um, as soon as the ketones get to a certain level, ketones are also insulinogenic themselves. So there's a certain there's a certain level of ketones, uh, and there's a certain level of gluconeogenesis where the keto the ketogenesis will turn off and it doesn't become dangerous at all. It's it's never dangerous. But if you if you have lost that insulin producing ability to turn off ketosis, and by the way, that's also the reason why a, high, a carbohydrate meal turns off ketosis. It's the insulin that basically causes the ketosis to to turn off. So that's a dangerous situation for type one diabetics, but. Why is that the only reason? No, no. So some people, some people would say, um, you know, it's um, uh, 
I, I'm going to I'm going to lose my my mass, my muscle mass, if I'm in ketosis. We already talked about that yeah, just now. Yeah, that's, so that's doesn't. Not... I know, you know, you and I know, uh, you know, Brian McAndrews, who works for the company, who's our videographer. He's been in ketosis for I don't know a year and a half now, and he's ripped as can be, and he's no ripped is the wrong. He's jacked is the word. Using, <laughs> right? um, you know, uh, Luis, uh, you know, Villasenor. He's the head of Keto Games. He's a keto bodybuilder. I mean, you can't. There are there are a whole websites dedicated now to putting on muscle mass in ketosis. So you can't tell me that that's an issue. You just have to do it the right way. You know, you probably get the like, well, it's not enough fiber. I need the fiber. Okay. But I mean, back to the vegetables, back, back to the vegetables. I eat more vegetables than most vegetarians do. You know, if you take the cups of well, vegetables, they're eating cheese sandwiches, huh? <laughs> they're eating cheese sandwiches. I know. Of them, yeah. Right. Know? Tofu sandwiches. Or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's no, there should be no, concerns about the lack of fiber in a ketogenic diet. Look, if we go back to the days of Atkins, look, Atkins had, he had the right idea, just poor execution. Right. And he didn't clarify between certain seed oils and others. Like, right. I so mean, all fats were good to him, which right. is, which is a big, he was big no better no. than calories in calories out. Cause he yeah. was just like the lower right, carb right, is fine, right. but you can eat whatever. <laughs> right. And then he, I think he probably feared, you know, uh, certain vegetables more than others. And so people were eating, you know, meat and cheese for weeks at a time and wondering why they were bound up, right? So um, the fiber part is, it's, an, it's a non-starter. It's just a, it, I have plenty of fiber in my diet. And, um, and I'm well aware that fiber is necessary. I mean, I, I, look, I've been writing about the gut biome for five years now and how important it is to health. So I certainly take care of my gut bugs with the, the salad that I eat almost a daily basis and the excessive amounts of uh, green vegetables, whether it's broccoli, Brussels sprouts, broccolini, uh, green beans, some nice, uh, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly uh, uh, aware that I've got a full complement of, of healthy gut bugs as a result of giving them all the fiber they need. How often, I know, you know, you know, Brad said he did it for so many days, yeah. ketosis straight. What about you? Where, where are you now? I remember one time talking to you and you were like, yeah, you know, I, I was in, I got out a little bit and I kind of missed it. <laughs> you yeah. know? So, so how is your life now? Well, so I went, you know, I did two months of straight ketosis writing the book. And then um, when it was done, I went to Greece for 15 days. I wasn't not going to eat baklava. Sure. You know, You're so um, I, you know, and I had a great time in, uh, in Greece. Then I came back and I went straight back into ketosis. So I'm like, that's why I'm using this term keto versus ketosis, because I'm keto. Whether or not I'm testing in ketosis, I'm keto. So most days I keep my carbs at between 30 and 60. Some days it'll go up to, oh my God, 100. But then, but then the next, the next day, day it might be 30. The next day it might be back to 30. And, and that's what I'm talking about when I talk about metabolic flexibility. Right. It's like if I eat carbs now, I don't go, oh my God, I feel so terrible because I'm out of ketosis. And I read a while back, um, and Finney and Volek are got to be commended for being the pioneers in this whole, in this whole movement. But they talk about having carbs, and then being out of ketosis for three days. That is not my experience. That is not the experience of a lot of people. I think what they're doing is they're measuring, you know, they're, they're back they're, to doing the same measuring the urine. Well, and you know, there's a lot of things we can't measure, right? I yeah. don't know. Can they really measure how well you're, Well, and this you is Well, this is the big thing in the book is the major thing in the book is how do you feel? Right, because you know you're keto when you're feeling it. Yeah. You don't have to test your yeah. blood. And even if it was off and it technically didn't say ketosis or whatever, you know you're keto. No, so I'll give you the example is if I, if I were out of ketosis and I had a day where I only had 20 grams of carbs 
you'd think I'd feel like crap because if I'm out of ketosis, then my brain is expecting glucose and all this other stuff. No, once you've built a metabolic machinery to burn ketones and make ketones, you don't fall out of it and crash unless you spend three weeks eating five or 600 grams of sugar a day. Yeah. Right? So it's interesting to me to, to hear people who are leaders in the industry go, well, you know, you have to stay below 30 or 40 grams. And if you're out, you're out for three days. No, I mean, if I feel great um, the day after I had 100 grams of carbs, shit, if I feel great, which I do the day after I've had 200 grams of carbs, although I choose not to for the most part just because it doesn't, none of that appeals to me. Um, but, you know, I might have a bowl of ice cream once in a while or something sure. like that. But the next day, I don't eat breakfast. I, eat, I, I, do a, I do a hard glycolytic workout. I have a keto lunch. And I guarantee you by the middle of the next afternoon, I'm full keto again. And the fact that I'm not pissing purple strips and I'm not – showing, uh, you know, 1.7 millimolar on a, on a monitor does not mean that I'm not keto. And that's why I'm, I'm, I want to be, I want the world to understand that keto is different from ketosis or ketogenesis. And keto is a lifestyle where you've built this metabolic flexibility, where you can go in and out within reason, within, you know, uh, 20 to 50 grams swings either day. And it's not because you're so restrictive in your diet. It's that you've you become so inclusive in your diet of things that are good for you. Uh, and But let's say, you know, like tonight we have a family coming over. I'm going to have some sweet potato, right? Am I worried? Oh, my God, I'm going to be out of ketosis for three days? No. Tomorrow I'll be right back in if I do a – and I'm going, to, I'm going on an hour and a half paddle with a friend of mine in the morning. Nice. Guarantee you at the end of the day, I'm just right back to – well, let's to the that metabolic sweet potato efficiency. isn't a blowout either. It's not going to make you feel like shit. No, and it won't. It won't. Yeah. I will say that if I were to have, you know – uh, a big piece of chocolate cake that'll make me feel like shit, you know. Yeah. And I might, and I might feel it tomorrow. But it's not like it's going to take me three days to get back because I did the work. I did the, I did the two months of keto, straight keto. I built the metabolic machinery. I operated, regulated all the enzyme systems. I, um, I got myself used to creating ketones, making ketones to the point that the body will eventually said. Geez, this is so easy. We don't need to overproduce ketones. We'll just make the minimum effective dose of ketones to keep the brain going. We don't need to make excessive. Look, the body is brilliant in that it doesn't want to do anything that's going to compromise its survival. And the one thing, the major thing that compromises the body's survival is the mismanagement of energy. So And hormones, which would then, well, well it all ties, hormones, back, yeah. ties back to mismanagement of energy. Right. It's the mismanagement of energy that that uses hormones as the first line of defense to try and manage, to try and reorient. So even when you have type 2 diabetes, um, that's your body trying to manage your sugar. Trying to save you. Trying to save you. It's not doing a good job because you've set it up to fail, but it's your body doing exactly what it's programmed to do. So ironic that people say, well, I'm, you know, I'm, um, it's, my, it's my bad genes that cause me to have two type, <laughs> type 2 diabetes. No, it's your human genes based on your bad dietary choices that are trying to keep up with you and and doing the only thing they know how to do given the set of variables that you've provided right the messages what they're allowed to receive want to receive let's we'll wrap it up here but i want to talk about so it's a 21 day program we know you've got the fat adapted you know sort of like you know major primal transformation uh as well you guys are talking about how, hey, in, in 21 days to a month, you can lose 10 to 15 pounds and about 3 to 6 pounds of uh, body fat. That's really possible. Um, if you're coming from a place of being sedentary and you haven't cleaned it out, clearly, 
I mean, without going through all the steps is how to do it, we, we know it's going to take a clean-out process and getting fat adapted. How long am I looking at before I can kind of really jump into ketosis comfortably? Well, so that's the, tw- the 21 days is our um, easing you into readiness to go keto, right? So the 21 days, you're not going to be keto in 21 days. Okay. Okay? You're going to be primal. You're going to go lower carb than you're used to. So you're going to get rid of, it really is one of those things where you're going to get rid of the breads, the pastas, the cereals, the, the, the cookies, the cakes, the soft drinks, the sweet beverages, the, the, um, you know, the mocha lattes and all the stuff that you thought was allowable. Um, you, and by the way, everybody knows they have to get rid of a lot of those sweetened yeah. things, right? So, so we, we take you back to, well, what can I eat, Mark? Well, you can eat meat, fish, fowl, eggs, nuts, seeds, vegetables all over the place, and a little bit of fruit. And we find that people who have gotten rid of all that other crap and are eating clean um, are eating... Like, again, I eat a lot of vegetables, and it doesn't tally up to more than 50 or 60 grams of carbs a day, sometimes 20 or 30. So is the 21-day reset me getting 21, I'm resetting to get prepared to go into ketosis? Okay. Correct. So now at the end of the 21 days, and by the way, if that's all you did for the rest of your life, you'd be really well off. Sure. Okay? That's basically what the primal blueprint has been for, for 12 years. But the next level of everything, the next level of metabolic efficiency, of flexibility, of your freedom from hunger cravings and uh, appetite happens when you go keto. And so we, in the book, we have a six-week keto phase, but you have to earn the right to be there. And how you do it is we have this midterm exam. And the midterm exam is based, it's a fun exam. Um, you know, you don't get flunked out of school if you don't pass <laughs> it, but you have to pass it. You have to get a 75 on it in order to earn the right to go keto because we want your, your keto yeah, experience. Check yourself. We yeah. want your keto to be... The, the most awesome, coolest experience ever. And that's why we're trying to, to stair-step you into it and ask questions like, you know, how do I feel energetically when I wake up in the morning? Can, how long can I go without eating a meal? Um, can I go to the gym and do a workout without having to eat right afterwards? You know, things that we've just talked about in this, in this interview, but these become, uh, they become checkpoints uh, for your readiness to, basically the answer is if you can do all those things, then you are fat adapted. And then you are you no less... You're no, you're no longer dependent on eating every couple of hours to keep your energy levels up. And therefore, you've, you've, now you're ready to go keto, which, by the way, when you do it, is only, now it's only dropping your carbs another 30 or 40 grams a day. It's very easy. You know? And then we start talk, playing around with cool stuff like intermittent fasting and compressed eating windows and seeing you know, uh, what your appetite really is in terms of how much you really need to eat to, to be satisfied in a meal. And because that's the essence of, I think, um, the future of health is, is this ability to control not just the macronutrients in the diet, but to use your appetite and, to, and to, to, to understand that you don't need that many calories to thrive, right? And so much of what we've done most of our lives has been based on this gluttonous kind of, uh, what's the most amount of calories I can eat? and not gain weight. You know, uh, why do I go to the gym? Because I love to eat, right? And that's just, it's, it's just it's so... bad reason, bad reasoning. It's insane. It's almost the definition of insanity. I know yeah. Einstein and know, Tony though, Robbins I, used to have that definition. I understand uh, at one point maybe being in that, and maybe you were too. No, I was that yeah. in my life that way. Look, so my, my college buddies today, <laughs> you know, I think you've heard this story, but in college, you know, we used to watch the reruns of an old show called Green Acres. And Green Acres... There was a, a character who was actually a thousand pound pig on a show called 
Arnold Ziffel. I could eat so much food in college oh, that's right. that my friends to this day, I'm 64 freaking years old, my college buddies to this day still call me Arnold because that was my nickname all through, all through college. Right. I could eat more than anybody. Right. And by the way, and it was probably and a get away with of, it. Oh, a and, honor. And right? get away with it. And I weighed 142 pounds. I weighed 30 pounds less than, than I weigh now. But I was running 100 miles a week. I was under a lot of stress. I had a, a horrendous digestive tract. So, you know, I'm and you sure. You fell apart at age 28, right? So yeah. that was a great, yeah. obviously not a great program. Yeah, exactly. Then you had to repair. Um, you know, I love this Keto is a Lifestyle. I, it's got such an amazing book. What do you think? Um, there are every single commercial is for type 2 diabetes. It's, it's disgusting. You right? mean drug-wise? Absolutely yeah. every single commercial on television. I, oh, you must watch the news a lot. Yeah, well, unfortunately, after what happened this year, it's kind of an addiction. I know, but it's weird that, um, like, on the evening news, on the, on the network evening news, every commercial, commercial is right? for a drug. It is, and it's it's like, it's like wow, everyone's either got psoriasis or diabetes. <laughs> like, I don't know. Or Olympic. But the diabetes thing is really out of control. This, is, this book is needed by our society more yeah. than anybody right now. This is the way to get out of it. And so I guess the message, too, is... Look, even if you don't need to lose weight, even if you look in the mirror and you think you're great uh, and you're not keto, there's benefits here. There are so many more benefits and things happening internally you need to look at aside from what you look at in the mirror because... Well, that was my whole reason for doing this. I mean, I, yeah. I was approached to do a book on this emerging trend you know, of the keto diet, the ketogenic diet, the ketosis. I mean, all these terms are bandied about. And while I had spent days, sometimes weeks in ketosis... Over the years, I never really did that deep dive. So in doing the research and, and in going really, truly deeply into it, I thought, holy crap. I mean, I didn't need to lose weight. My body fat, you know, there's enough naked pictures of me on the Internet to show that my body fat is, <laughs> isn't, you know, isn't that bad. Um, and yet I got all these benefits. I got I lost body fat. Uh, I actually feel like I increased my muscle. Right. We took a look. You called me and we were talking and you were like, look at this photo. It was from what, 2008, nine? Yeah. And you're in front of your bedroom door and you've uh, got your shirt off. And um, then you showed me a picture of you and standing in front of that door like a week before Prior, we had the yeah. conversation. And you're like, what do you see the difference? I'm like, you look more jacked and bigger in the second photo. Right. And I weighed five pounds less. Right. So what the hell? Well, because Is that the protein sparing thing, what's going on? It's, 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 no, it's showing pro- more. Yeah, no, no, no. It's a protein sparing thing. It's the body fat. Look, anybody who burns off body fat uh, from even if you have low body fat, you burn it off even more. You look quote jacked, right. right? And so the muscles show themselves. The striations show the the cuts, the separations between the muscles show themselves. So it's a bit of an illusion. Um, but I did. You know, the truth is, I did not lose muscle. Um, I just lost body fat, and you know, could be that I lost visceral body fat. I lost fat that you couldn't even see, which is the dangerous stuff, right? Uh, and energy improved. Um, you know, my, my thought process improved. I felt more efficient. Uh, one of the things that I, that I found really interesting was I needed less sleep. I would, I would wake up oh. earlier in the morning ready to go, like raring to go, which, um, you know, as someone who has made a big deal of sleep over the past couple of years um, and thinking that I needed eight, eight and a half a night and now finding that, you know, seven was a good number for me in keto. Uh, and that's part of this whole metabolic efficiency. I was gonna say, that actually makes a lot of sense to yeah. me though. Cause if you're eating some foods that are extra in carbs and then there's a sluggishness that happens and you're our sleepier. Yeah. And you, yeah well, you know, and, and, and look at some of these animals like, you know, large constrictor snakes that sleep for a week after they eat a, a deer <laughs> or whatever. Right. 
So uh, you could make, or, or lions who take naps for long times after they've had a kill. Yeah. You know, it's, you could argue that, that and that, that was that original statement I made, which is, I think, kind of really off the wall, but I want to look into it. And that is that we are mostly human when we're not eating. And it's when we are eating that, that we're sort of in a hibernation phase uh, that is gearing us up to store energy. But the real manifestation of being human is when we're burning the energy and we're using the energy and we're building the muscle and we're, we're doing all the I hear that stuff. similar sentiment and not those words from people who've gone primal, gotten there, they are jacked, they're ripped, they're calorically efficient, and they're going, is this possible? Is it possible? It seems like... I am not eating, like, I'm barely eating, like, compared to what they were. And yeah. they're starting to almost freak out because they're like, how can this be real? How am I, how do I have this much energy and muscle without this primer, you know, this previous did we just Did we talk about Todd and the Dry Farm Wines guy? No, but I love him. And I talk about their company, even though I'm not a big wine drinker. I've tried their wines. But for those people out there who want to keep drinking as a vice, and I get it, you got to go to Dry Farms Wines because they've got less than a gram of sugar per yeah. liter of alcohol. So Todd's no been, hangover. Yeah, so the owner of the company, Todd's been, he's been keto for like four years. Oh, he's so, all those parties I've heard that are just pure all keto. You can't get a carbon. <laughs> exactly. And and here's the thing about Todd. he He's a very energetic guy. He travels a lot, like more, I can't, can't understand how much he travels. Um, he runs a business, very successful business. He works out. He's He's very fit. And he eats one meal a day. That's right. You know, and it's dinner. And he's, and I, I talked to him about it. I said, well, you know, what, what does that look like? He said, well, yeah, I'm not hungry in the morning. And I, you know, I do have a cup of coffee, but I'm not hungry. Uh, I got stuff to do. Um, I work out. I don't feel compelled to eat, but I do eat dinner. Um, but, Mark, I have to be mindful of what I eat for dinner. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, yeah, you have to be mindful that you don't overeat, right? He goes, no, I have to be mindful that I eat enough right. because I'm eating one meal a day. And hunger is something that just doesn't rule my life anymore. And, and, and it's amazing. So this is what you're finding among your friends who've said, I can't believe how few calories it takes me to not only survive and not waste away, but to thrive. So I've noticed for myself, and I haven't even begun to test the limits of this, but I eat 30 40% fewer calories now than I did even five years ago. Yeah, and the amount of Oh, gosh, I mean, it's so funny, you know, how you go to some healthy store or uh, Whole Foods and you can get sort of like a little meal plate with, a, you know, a couple different things. And I used to be able to eat a whole Both one of those yeah. things and more after. And yeah. I can't even eat half of it yeah. now. The, the protein efficiency in my body is different. And it's so fascinating and the energy level. But again, it's funny because you will come across these previously socially constructed things that tell you, is this okay? Is this okay? Yeah. Is it okay that I just worked out? No, it did, no. That's why I'm asking you. No, because like, it's, right, it's all based on some assumptions that are going to be overturned in the next couple of years, about, about one, of, one of which is about metabolic efficiency. So uh, b- back to that point about how can I be gluttonous and not gain weight, one of the things people are looking for, it's like they think that the holy grail is a fast metabolism. Like, how can I speed up my metabolism so I burn through calories and I can eat more, right? The holy grail is a fast metabolism. Well, what again, what if, the, what if the holy grail is an efficient metabolism that extracts the most amount of energy out of the food that you eat or the stored energy that you have? And therefore, you, you don't need, uh, let's talk thyroid, Yeah. okay, which I, I think you know a little bit about. <laughs> uh, when, when, you, when you increase thyroid... And people with hyperthyroidism, you know, their, their whole 
body's revving at a high RPMs, and it's it's really Sweating, dangerous. Sweating, they're pooping. It's really their heart dangerous. Rate's high. Right. It's dangerous. Yeah. Right, and it's and it's it's literally an accelerated aging process. I was gonna say, so you don't really want to have a so fast hypermetabolic situation. You don't want a fast metabolism. The game here is literally how efficient can I be with my metabolism? How how few calories can I get by with? And obviously, still have muscle mass, still get strong, still have energy, never get sick, and never be hungry. But how efficient can I be? Uh, and one of the things that I've always wondered about is people who have a low thyroid, a low T3, but who feel great. Hey, my doctor says I have a low T3, but I feel great, and I'm not losing my hair, and I'm not cold, and my skin's not, and my nails aren't brittle. What's wrong with me? You're dude, metabolically efficient. That's dude, what's wrong with you. Nothing is wrong with, the, <laughs> yeah. with you, and you win the game. That's right. You win the game. And, you know, we talked a little bit that I actually have a little blurb in your book about this. The only thing to really look out for is if you're already on thyroid hormone replacement, which is totally fine. You can go keto. But if you get serious and you want to go a long time with it, maybe six, eight-week mark, get tested because over time you will become efficient. You might need less T3, and then you don't want to be overloading yourself with hormones. That's something to check in on, or you don't want to reverse T3 problems. So that would be only one thing to worry about if you're on medication. There's really no, uh, not a worry. Um, Yeah, it really is amazing. You, the efficiency, you're right. You do not want to be a hypermetabolic state. Besides, also, on that same note, people who are hyper, or even just a little bit, um, they often have anxiety issues. Yeah. They've got other issues with just a higher normal T3. They may not be full-blown hyper, but the people that I know that are above that mid-range a little bit too much naturally, they are having those issues already. Yeah. And and those are also cortisol issues. You know, there's, there's a whole adrenal, whole adrenal uh, connection there. Thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, this has been a real juicy one. This is a long one, and it's great. I'm so excited about uh, this book, Keto Reset. You can go to ketoreset.com, or you can go to amazon.com and look up the Keto Reset Diet. Uh, what do you want to leave everyone with? I mean, I feel like everyone needs to just, at once in their life, get here. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's the reason for the book, is I think uh, anybody who buys the book and, and engages in this keto lifestyle for even a few weeks, we suggest six weeks. I mean, I, I'm going to look at keto now as the same way um, some health practitioners would say, do a cleanse once a year, right? If you just did a a deep foray into keto for six weeks once a year, you would ratchet up your metabolism for the rest of the year. You would become that much better at burning fat. You would become that much more efficient at not creating creating free radical damage when you do uh, consume uh, excess carbs. Uh, you, You know, all of the benefits would accrue. So you don't have to spend the rest of your life in keto. Um, just doing it, and, and I think everyone should try it once, right? And we want people to do it in a way that's kinder and gentler and eases you into it so that you're not slamming up against the wall of going from 350 grams of carbs a day down to 20. So that's like, going to hurt your brain. It's going to hurt your brain. And a lot of people do that. They say, oh, you just got to go, you know, whole hog. You got to, you know, both feet first and all that stuff. No, I think we want to ease you into this so that you become good at burning fats. I mean, we, you know, we've looked in the past at the studies on fasting, for instance. Well, people who are fat-adapted do a whole lot better when they're fasting than people who are not fat-adapted, totally. right? So that's just because you've built the metabolic machinery. So I think, to, you know, to leave people with, uh, you know, one piece of advice is just, you, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of keto. It doesn't, all it's done is enhance my appreciation of primal and the primal blueprint, and it is the next level of achievement, I think. So... And everyone can do with a little deflaming, probably, right? Yeah, you know, a lot of people sure. are inflamed. And so even if you're not dealing with a health crisis specifically, but, you know, 
you're dealing with any kind of systemic inflammation, that's another reason. Yeah. Um, this is great. All right, the Keto Reset. Thank you so much, Mark, for being on your own podcast. Thank you, Al. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time, everyone. Thanks. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here. And I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching, but have been held back by worries, such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching, and we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe.